All right, the 142nd Psalm tonight, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then Thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we'd ask that we'd be fed tonight from your precious hand. And Father, that you do in our hearts what is needful. Lord, I confess my inability and my insufficiency for the task at hand. And ask only, Father, that you'd use me under your glory and honor. Give me the unction to preach your word. Father, that people may see not me, but but see the cross and see Christ. Lord, help me to decrease that you might increase. And Father, I pray that we'd be done in such a way that we'd be able to see plainly that it's been your hand. Meet with us tonight, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The 142nd Psalm is a psalm that's probably not preached on very much. At least I know I've not preached on it a lot. uh, And I haven't heard very many messages on it. But we have a little subtitle given to us of the 142nd Psalm. And I'm sure most of your Bibles, if not all of them, will have it. And I want to take notice of it just under the title of Psalms 142. The Bible says, Mashal of David... A prayer when he was in the cave. Now the Bible does not tell us which cave it was. We know of two caves in the life of David. 1 Samuel 22 presents to us the cave of Adullam whenever he fled from the king of Gath. And he was in a place of great sorrow and great anguish. 1 Samuel 24 tells us of the cave at Engedi when he fled from Saul. And in fact, Saul came into the cave and David was there. He knew not that David was in his presence. That's the passage that we've read many times where uh, David merely takes a piece of his garment that he might prove to Saul that he had the opportunity to slay him, but he chose not to do so. But as I study this passage and consider the context of it, you know, everything in God's Word is for a purpose. And God has preserved this truth to us that this was a prayer when He was in the cave for a reason because it provides for us a context to the thoughts and the understandings we gain from this passage. And you know, I got to thinking about the context of a cave and what it's like to be in a cave. I don't know if you've ever been in a cave before. Some of you, especially if you've got a few years on you, remember a time when uh, little boys would go off and they'd play and they'd find them a cave and they'd play in a cave. Closest I've ever been to a cave was taking my wife to the Lost Sea. Amen. That's, that's about as close as I've gotten to one, about really as close as I care to get to one. Somebody say Amen. But uh, one thing that is interesting is a cave is a place of great darkness and great danger. And a cave is a place where you're in solitude. It is a place where you're left alone with only the presence of God, at least most of the time you would be. And I considered for a moment, not the caves that David was in, 
but the caves that you and I find ourselves in in our Christian walk. You know, I wish I could tell you that every day was going to be roses. I wish I could tell you there would be no difficulties in your life. But the truth of the matter is, just as the sweet psalmist of Israel was faced with caves in his life, you too will be faced with times of darkness and times of despair. You too will have times of solitude. You too will have times when you despair even of your very life. When in confusion you have only that you can cry out unto God, but you find that that's enough. As we've read this passage, there's a lot of interesting things that I want to note. But I want to say eight things about it, as I've already said. And four of them give us the definition of this cave or the distinguishing factors of this cave. And then the other four are going to give us the deliverance that's found in the cave. Now, notice I did not say the deliverance from the cave, but the deliverance in the cave. There's a purpose for these times in your life. I want us to notice, look at verse number three at the first phrase. David writes and says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Now, he's speaking of this time in the cave, and he says that a cave is a place of sorrow. You can note it down. A cave is a place many times of sorrow. Whether you were to look at David as the fugitive from the hand of a Philistine king, or look at David as the fugitive from the hand of the king of Israel, one thing's for sure, David was despairing of his very life. He was in a place of real danger and sorrow uh, had overcome him. And he uses this terminology, my spirit was overwhelmed within me. That's a Bible word, by the way. You say, what does overwhelmed mean? It means you're in over your head. Amen. It means things have gotten deep and things have gotten dangerous. And can I say there'll be times in your life when it'll seem like your circumstances are just too much for you. You ever felt like you're suffocating? You ever felt like the things in your life were so insurmountable? They were so large. They were so vast. How can I ever under, overcome these things? And all of a sudden, you didn't overcome them, but they overcame you. You felt as though you could never overcome them. You felt as though you were stifled and suffocating and drowning. In fact, the psalmist talks about that feeling of being drowned in the waters. And certainly, the times in our life that are like that are very similar to that of a cave. You ever been in a place that was so dark you could feel it? (laughs) I told you that I'd taken my wife to uh, the Lost Sea. And uh, (coughs) she wasn't my wife at that time. We were dating, amen? And uh, I did date, by the way. I I, I didn't court. I, I dated her, amen? But... Uh, we were dating at that time, and I decided that'd be a romantic and and, and good uh, good date to take her on. So, because that's what a woman loves to be stuck fifty, hundred, two hundred feet underneath the ground. Amen. I didn't know this, but she's slightly claustrophobic. Not a lot. But enough that she felt that mountain on top of her, amen? And I didn't know it at the time, and she was a trooper. She never let on till later on. But if you've ever been to the Lost Sea down in Sweetwater, whenever you go through the tour and they take you down that big yellow tunnel, you feel like you're being birthed, amen? And you come down into this cave, and they take you through all the little attractions. They show you all the little uh, stalactites and uh, all the little, what's the other one, teractites, pterodactyls, something... They show you all these formations, but they come to a place in the tour where you're in a big open room. There's no outside light. And they tell you, they say, are you ready to experience total darkness? And they take and they turn all the lights out. It's so dark you couldn't see your hand if you wanted to. In fact, and let this soak in, it's so dark you can't see anyone's hand. It's total darkness. It's a suffocating darkness. Can I say that life feels that way sometimes? 
we're faced with things that are so dark, so daunting, that it's as though we can't even see the hand of God in it. David said, I was in a place of sorrow and I was overwhelmed. Look at verse number four. Notice what he says. It says, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Can I say the cave is a place of sorrow? But I'd like to note that a cave is a place of solitude. David says, I looked around me. I looked for someone that could understand. Someone that could care. Someone that would be a help to me. But he says, I found no man that would know me. I do not know whether it was at Agilum or in Gedi that he's writing this. We know that at Agilum that all of the distressed of Israel began to gather themselves to him. And that was the beginning of the army that David used as he would conquer. But at this point in time, it's evident that David is alone in this cave. And he uses a term that I think is interesting. He says, refuge failed me. Cave is a place of refuge. You can mark that down. It's a place of refuge. You're out of the weather. You're out of the circumstances. You're out of the dangers of the outward world. But he says in the midst of that refuge, refuge failed me. Let me say that there's an inner anguish that outweighs all external circumstances in our lives. Paul wrote of this when he said that we found in ourselves the sentence of death. Paul says it was an inward sorrow. It wasn't a sorrow just akin to the circumstances. But it was a sorrow that was inward. And can I use this terminology? And I try not to use it lightly. But could I use the term maybe depression? In a place where you feel as though no one can relate to what you're going through. In a place of feeling alone and feeling without a friend. David says, no man cared for my soul. I looked around, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the soon crowned king of Israel, was completely without a friend in the world. I dare say that there's times in our life when we have people around us that love us, but they cannot be for us what we need. I've learned in my life there's certain things that, that I've gone through, and I, and I try not to talk about this a lot. I don't want to cheapen what, what we've been through. But, uh, you know, I, 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 whenever me and my wife lost the baby last January, one thing that that taught me was this. I've talked to people about it, and you can tell people that have been through that and people that haven't. Because people that haven't always tell you, well, you just have to be an encouragement. Well, you just have to be supportive. Well, you just have to this. Well, you just have to that. And people mean well, and they believe that'll work. One thing I learned through that experience, and that's not the greatest sorrow a person can go through. I'm not implying that. There's plenty of people that have gone through more difficult things than that. But one thing I learned through that experience was that everything I tried to do to be for my wife what I needed to be fell short of solving the inner anguish and the sorrow in the morning. You know what I found out? I found out that the Lord taught me that I can't be everything to her. God has to be her everything. Some sorrows that a friend can't fix, that a spouse can't fix. And there's things we go through in our life. And if for no other reason than just to abase us, God makes clear to our heart and soul that no one can be our all in all except for Jesus Christ. David, in this place of sorrow, comes to realize that though he may have had friends, though he may have not, he finds that there's no one that would know him. That's what he says. There's no man that would know me. Men that might have showed care and compassion towards me, but none of them knew what I was facing. 
Many times a cave is a place of solitude. Look at verse 6 with me. The Bible says, Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Let me say a a cave is a place of soberness. David says the cave brought perspective into my life. The cave made me aware of my weakness and my inability. Can I say that these dark times in our life, if they do nothing else, they usually cure us of that wicked and awful pride that we're all so guilty of. They make us aware of how insufficient we are. And can I say that you and I need that? We need that in our lives. The philosophy of the world today is to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, to take care of yourself, to tend to yourself, to do it yourself. But God puts the Christian in circumstances to make him aware that without God all things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Christ taught this. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. He didn't say without me, ye can do most things. He didn't say without me, ye can do easy things. But he said, without me, ye can do nothing. And many times these times of difficulty make us aware of that truth. I don't know, maybe you've never had a time like this. But there's times when getting out of the bed in the morning is a struggle. Isn't that true? And I don't mean because you're not physically able. Now, maybe you're not. But I mean just the emotional, crushing weight of your circumstances makes you very consciously aware of your feebleness. And you wake up in the morning, you roll over, and you look at the clock, and you think to yourself, can I do it again today? Can I do it again today? Can I face it again today? Can I, can I go again? Is it possible? That's a place of soberness. That makes you aware of how much you need God in your life. And David says, I came to the place where I was aware that I'm brought very low and that my enemies are stronger than I. You hear it all the time, uh, especially within the charismatic crowd concerning the persecution of Satan. And they'll say, well, you just rebuke him. Well, you just quote scripture at him. You better be careful with that attitude. If Michael the archangel does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, not Michael rebukes thee, but the Lord rebuke thee, you better be aware that your enemies are stronger than you. They're not stronger than the captain of your salvation, but they are stronger than you. Can I say temptation stronger than you? Can I say depression stronger than you? Frustration and discouragement, they're stronger than you. You're compassed about with enemies that are too strong for you in and of yourself. But they make you aware of your need of Christ in the very center and heart of your life. I've been trying to press home to our Sunday school, and I've talked a lot about it Sunday morning, the very need of the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the most simple things in the Christian wall. I'll tell you why a lot of people are unfaithful. It's because they're trying to be faithful in their own energy and not through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you why a lot of people have trouble praying. And let me say that prayer is the most assaulted activity of the Christian life. The devil would sooner you read your Bible. The devil would sooner you witness. The devil would sooner you go to church. The devil would sooner you do anything in the world other than pray. He hates prayer more than he does anything else. And, you know, the reason that we have trouble praying is because we're trying to pray in our own energy, not in the power and unction of the Holy Spirit. The reason we have trouble reading our Bible and studying our Bible is because we're trying to do it in the energy of our flesh, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without Christ, you can do Nothing. Not just the big things. He can do nothing without Christ. The cave is a place of soberness. But I want to give you a fourth thing, and then we're going to start talking about the deliverance of the cave. Look at verse number 3. I think this is significant. 
Look at the end of the verse. David says, in the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I want to say that a place, uh, the cave is a place of stumbling, or it can be. Now, remember, David's in the darkness of this cave, and he's saying, somewhere there's a snare laid for me. I don't know if he meant literally a snare. I don't know if he was talking about the circumstances he was in. But the implication is that in the darkness of this cave, and you can imagine if you're walking through a cave, let me say, you go through most caves, it ain't going to be like the lost sea. It ain't going to have steps and handrails, amen? If you were to try to walk through a cave in the midst of that darkness, you'd find plenty of opportunities to fall, to hurt yourself, to fall to your death. And let me say that it's a precarious thing to be in these places of darkness. Don't you think for one moment, just because you're a saved, born-again, blood-washed believer, that you won't find yourself under under the juniper tree? Don't think for one moment, just because you're saved and blood-washed, that you can't make a shipwreck of your life. And it's like anything. You get in a dark place. You know what our immediate tendency is to try to do when we get in a dark place? The first thing we do is we stop what we're doing. And we reach for something sure to hang on to. You know why we do that? Do that Because that's wise. Because we've learned one too many times trying to walk through the dark when we're little, we've learned that you can stumble that way. And let me say that these times of darkness, though we ought to take faith and have encouragement and put our hope in God, and though we ought to realize that they have purpose, don't think for one moment that they're not dangerous places. A lot of people have quit on God in the cave. A lot of people have quit on church in the cave. A lot of people have put their Bibles away on the cave. A lot of people have closed and locked their prayer closets in the cave. A lot of people have gotten these times of darkness and said, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. They may have their name on a church roll. They may still be acquainted with God's people. They may still own a Bible. They may still know what prayer is, but they've ceased living the life of a Christian because of the overwhelming darkness that has surrounded them, because of the difficulty and the trial. Let me say it's easy to do that when you get into the cave. I don't say that judgmentally. I don't say that with an air of pride or arrogance because it's just as easy for this preacher to give up on God as it is for any of you. We have to be careful because the cave can be a place of stumbling. But I want to show you four things I hope will encourage you. Look at verse number 1 and 2. The Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before him my trouble. Let me give you the deliverance in the cave and the purpose of the cave. Let me say that a cave is a place of supplication. Never are prayers more earnest than when they're most necessary. Did you get that? Never are prayers more earnest than when they're most necessary. David is not going through all the form and polity and manners of prayer. David is not sitting there saying, Oh, great God in heaven, we do thank you for Calvary and we thank you for all that. You know what David's doing? David is crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your presence in my life. I need you to intervene. I need you to deliver. God, I'm going to sink if I don't get a hold of you. There's nothing wrong with a prayer like that. He pours out his complaint is what he says. And he showed, he brought his trouble before the Lord. Can I say there's nothing wrong with that? God knows what you're going through, but there's nothing wrong if you tell Him about it either. And it's not disrespectful, because God knows your heart, and He knows what you're thinking, He knows what you're facing, He knows what you're going through. And so, in this place of supplication, let me say that we ought to be honest with God. 
For to be honest with it solve a lot of our prayer problems if we just learn to be honest with God. If we learn to cease with the vain repetitions that the Pharisees give. You know, some people when they pray, you know what their prayer is going to be before they ever pray it. Amen. I guess we're all guilty of that from time to time. And I'd say if you looked at everybody when they pray over a meal or when they pray over a service, there's probably certain things that they're always prone to say. But you meet some people, too, that they don't mean a thing that they're praying. They've just been taught that's how you're supposed to pray. They're not being honest with God. It'd help us a lot if when we prayed to God, we did what prayer really is, and that's talking to Him. They complain to Him. Our complaint and our desire and our heartbreaks and our great need of Him in our life. The cave is a place of supplication. But I want you to notice something else. I don't know, this is point 18 or something. I don't know. But uh, look at verse number 3. Uh, boy, I like this. Because when you read verse 3, it's sandwiched between two discouraging thoughts. But look what it says. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. Let me say that a cave is a place of spectating. There's someone watching the psalmist and he's aware of it. Now, the implication here, David's not saying, Lord, you didn't know my way, but now that I'm in distress and trouble, you know my way. But what David's saying is, when I don't know my way, Lord, I know you know my way. When I don't know the way through, Lord, you know the way through. When I don't know the way out, Lord, you know the way out. You know, very often, we're very conscious of the fact that God's aware of the valley we're in. But we forget that He formed the road that leads out of it. We forget that God is the author and finisher of our faith. That He's not only been with us before the trial, in the midst of the trial, but after the trial. Let me give you a little theology, and and I'm going to try not to be too theological, amen. We talk about the foreknowledge of God. But God is an omnipresent God. Do you believe that? God is everywhere. But the omnipresence of God implies not only His omnipresence geographically, but His omnipresence chronologically. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? That means that God is not just everywhere at once, but God is everywhere at all times at once. You say, I don't, I don't understand that, neither do I. <laughs> That's something you're never going to wrap your mind around. In other words, the past is just as present to God as the present, and the future is just as present to Him as the present, and the present is infinite. God is at all times, everywhere, in all things. God is present. And so that tells me something. God's foreknowledge is not what we know of as foreknowledge. We say, well, God knows what's going to happen. No, God is already there when it's happening. So we use this terminology, prescience, or prescience, if you prefer that, but prescience is how it's... Uh, determined. In other words, God knows everywhere, everything at all times by one single conscious act. He is aware of everything. In other words, it's not just that God knows how it's going to end. He's already at the end. It's not just that He knows your path, but He knows how your path is going to end. Not just the way out, but what's going to happen. You've got somebody with you. We sang about it, didn't we? I have somebody with me all the way. And you do. I mean, when you don't understand it, God understands it. When you can't see it, God can see it. Everything in your life that is so dark and so vague and so confounding and so crushing is nothing to God. He's already been through it. He already knows. He's already there. He already knows everything you're going through. The cave is a place of spectating. I want to give you another thing. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Now, the psalmist has just got through saying refuge 
failed me. In other words, what he's saying is, I was in the place where I should have been okay. Isn't that right? I mean, the cave, you ought to have protection from his enemies. You ought to have protection from the elements. You ought to have protection from, from nature and, and the beasts and the wild beasts that would have come in and harmed him. But he says, refuge failed me. In the midst of this, this bubble, if you will, in the midst of this safe haven and safe house, I found a crushing despair within me. But he says, I found that the, pla- that the cave's a place of sufficiency. He says, I find that it's, it's not my circumstances that dictate my refuge. But the Lord is my refuge and he's my portion. You know, it doesn't matter what you're going through. The Lord is not only with you uh, as far as chronologically and geographically, but the Lord is with you as far as provisionally providing for you. The Lord's going to see you through. And the quicker you understand that peace comes from the presence of God, not from the presence of positive circumstances, the quicker you're going to understand what the Christian walk is really all about. I'll tell you what the Christian walk is. You know what the Bible says? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we were to sum up the Christian walk in one word, one phrase, we would say that the Christian life is the experiential presence of God in the life of the believer. It's that Christ not only has saved us, that He dwells within us through the person of the Holy Spirit, and that we have God with us at all times, that He's all that we need. We find that a place, the cave is a place of sufficiency. I want to give you a final thing and I'm going to hush. That wasn't as bad as you thought it was, was it? Look at verse 7. The psalmist says, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Now don't read that verse too fast. Notice he says, Bring my soul out of prison that. That transitional word, that, it's, it's connecting those two statements. Saying, if you'll bring me out of prison, my soul out of prison, something is going to happen as a result of it. And it says that I may praise thy name. Now, this is consequential as well. The righteous shall compass me about. What he's saying is this. The psalmist is saying, Lord, if you bring me out of this place of darkness, I'll praise your name. And I'll be surrounded and surround myself intentionally with the righteous. Thou compass me about because thou hast dealt bountifully with me. Let me say that the cave, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, is a place of sanctification. The difficult times in our life have a sanctifying effect upon us. I said the other day in, in the theology class I teach that the gospel does not have a sanctifying effect on the life of the believer. Now, positionally it does. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that when a person is washed in the blood of Christ, he's made clean and he's separated under the cause of Christ, positionally. But uh, but, uh, practically, the gospel does not have a sanctifying effect. That's why, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you've you've been to churches that were what we call gospel-only churches. In other words, what else do you believe? It don't matter, we preach the gospel. What do you believe about the Word of God? It don't matter, we preach the gospel. What do you believe about premillennial, amillennial, da 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 da? It don't matter, we preach the gospel. What do you believe about Bible standards? It don't matter, we preach the gospel. And you'll find that in circumstances like that, there's a lot of good people, and there's some people that really live close to Christ. But you'll find in churches and in circumstances like that, very often carnality is a real problem in the church. The reason why is because the gospel does not have a sanctifying effect on the life of the believer. The Word of God does. 
The Bible says in the book of Psalms 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. It's the word of God that we're washed, the Bible tells us. Washed by the water, the cleansing, the water of the word. It's the word of God that produces a sanctified and separated effect in the life of the believer and causes them to live for Jesus Christ, not just the gospel alone. You say, what are you driving at? I'm driving at this, that part of that sanctifying effect is produced by the Word of God. But the Word of God will have none effect except there's opportunities to apply it to our lives. And as you read this passage, you find out that in this darkness, gave the psalmist an opportunity to put his faith in the promises of God. Gave him an opportunity to depend on God. Gave him an opportunity to trust in the Word of God. And that brought a sanctifying effect. He says, if you bring me out, I'm going to let people know about it. Don't you believe that when God does something in our life, we ought to let people know about it? I mean, we think that praise is just standing up and giving a testimony of our salvation. And that's good, and that is praise. Hey, I believe if the Lord answers a prayer for you, you ought to let people know about it. I believe if the Lord delivers you of something in your life, a sin in your life. Now, you don't necessarily have to share with everyone what that thing was you overcame. But, but I believe it's sufficient to stand up and say, I was struggling with something in my life. God brought me out of that prison, and I want to praise His name for it. It changes your life. Certainly the caves in David's life changed his life. We find that God taught him some things in that darkness and in that difficulty. Though you may not be able to see it right now, though it may not make sense right now, I can promise you this, that He knoweth the way that you take. And when you are come forth, you shall shall come forth as gold when you're tried. That's what Job said. Job said, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when I shall come, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. After all the darkness, after the cave is done, after all of the difficulties, we find that God had purpose in every bit of it in our lives.